want to see you coming back in here with fucking jerseys. I want to see you coming back in here with bloodstained jerseys. Look at anybody going sitting in a pint with those boys after that. And the referee is looking around and acting as Mickey. Tell the children to play tennis or something. If they want to play tennis, go and play tennis. I've been watching a lot of the wire recently. I'm on a binge watching it back, and because of that, on Saturday night when I was watching Dublin, the only comparison that came to my head all the way throughout was that Dublin are Marlow. So, for those that don't know, Marlow is a rival gangster who he's the famous "My name is my name." So, if if you come at the king, you best not miss. And I remember, there's a scene when Marlow is talking about other gangs coming up against him, and he talks about. Um, having hits out in rival gangs and he says they were dead the second they opened their mouths they just didn't know it and that's how I felt during that first half like Mayo had to that was their chance and as soon as Dublin had their chance they were going to absolutely kill them off and that's what they did welcome to Three Man Weaves the Boz at EGA <laughs> podcast my name is Morris Brosnan I'm delighted to be joined by Mick McCarthy Mick House Hings I'm good I'm good I'm trying to think of other TV uh comparisons yes exactly for Dublin but there I don't know if there is any there's loads from the wire anyway in terms of just even that you know you come with the king king's always toppled this. in the end though Morris that's all I'll say <laughs> my prediction is gone though you're Kerry you're so own do- yeah. so gonna end yeah. the five in a row the way Tipperary did and the way Offaly did after losing the previous year's All-Ireland final I, there's look, a part to be devastated I have to be honest look if there's any uh, small comfort my prediction was that Jim McConnelly play for Clare so <laughs> small, small, small wins PJ Brown is here as well PJ how's the form? oh sure you know Mars not too bad now you, in an All-Ireland fight ready for the ticket scramble you, you know what you lads you don't know the burden <laughs> that, that comes with being from Kerry and trying to find an All-Ireland ticket in well, Morris does in, in what way? Amar's a fake Kerry man. He's really from Galway. He, d- he doesn't know what it's like. Yeah? <laughs> it's it, been a while. It, yeah, the yeah. Ca- chaos. 2015. PJ is our, um, is our Tommy Walsh. He comes in, has a way bigger impact than the man who was there initially. And yet, for some reason, probably isn't going to start in an Ireland final anyway. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Look, look all, all I have to do is come in here and not talk about Kevin. And I think it's probably <laughs> it's probably a step up from the previous year. <laughs> we won't be talking about Kevin today. We will be talking about both Ireland semi-finals. And we'll maybe have a quick look ahead at the weekend ahead. We've even got some hurling chat, Mick. Well, uh, I'm be, sure we'd have to. You'd be delighted to hear. What else is the weekend ahead? Exactly. But, lads... To start, before we get into the games, the attendances at the weekend were chalk and cheese, really. So we just sold out full house on Saturday. Sunday, on official attendance of 33,848. There's been a lot of talk about this in the, the aftermath and talk about prices. Um, a lot of people are bringing up the fact that in 1982, as we actually talked about last week, that 1982 semi were small. I would point out that Ireland had about 2 million less people then. A lot of other people are talking about the 2007 low attendance between Mead and Cork. Um, last year, attendances were down by 18%. So if you're going to pretend this isn't part of a trend, I think you're asleep at the wheel. Like, there's no getting away from the fact that for whatever reason, it might be Dublin's dominance, it might be prices, but the stark reality is that the game isn't capturing the public the way it probably should. Yeah. My, my biggest question is that the deniers, like, it's like climate change deniers, you know what I mean? You can pick out something any way you want and shape a stat whatever way you want. And I saw one last night which was that, you know, the only reason to criticise attendance would be an anti-Dublin agenda because 
and look, we'll talk more about those anti-Dublin agendas in a while, but because the combined attendance of the semi-finals this year were higher than the combined attendance of the semi-finals last year, and of, I think, like, 2007 was the other random year picked out because of the, the match that you were talking about. But to, like, to, to decide to combine the figures rather than focusing on a 34,000 figure, like, we're talking about Crow Park not being worth opening for any less than 30,000. So we see that figure in, like, the Leinster final and we're shaking our heads and leading the show with it. Never mind an All-Ireland semi-final, you know? Um, Dublin Mayo is, like, the, this that one time, by the way, it won't be the case next year after what happened, was that last grab, was that last chance of that capturing that public imagination in the way it did to fill Crow Park outside of an All Ireland final, and I don't think that's going to happen again. And that's just it's such a it's such a unique occasion to take that and not see it as an outlier. Is I think purposely looking to try and mislead this, you know, the the, the stats, you know. Um, but like thirty four thousand, that's we talked about sixty thousand here on the show on Friday, which is what and GA had. That's forecast, what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's that you were far from the only person saying it. It was that it was out there as we're looking at sixty thousand. And if they'd gotten fifty, you'd be like, okay, grand. Don't know what happened there, but to drop by nearly half, what happened there? Because that's peculiar amount to drop off you know and you can talk about ticket prices and we will and we can talk about too many games and we will and we talk about the fact that the season is condensed which means that people are getting paid less in the amount of times that they have to go and see games i think that's actually an important little thing you know that that people aren't really bringing up there's a lot of things we can talk about but for that few people to go to another Ireland semi-final i don't think any of it explains it except for maybe you watch the match the night before and you say what's the point do you think a lot of people were like hanging on until the, until the morning the, after that game or the morning after to buy their tickets and See, as a result of the Dublin destruction of, of Mayo that, yeah, that makes sense for neutrals it might, it might, no, but it might be a little bit simplistic but I know in the past like you've gone to when there's no scramble for tickets right you often do say you're going think you're going and wake up on the Sunday morning and was like do you know what it was a shitty day on Saturday as well don't forget it's raining all day long a long trip up you know maybe there was just a case of ah, do you know what like i won't i won't today i'll watch it on telly i'll watch it on telly and maybe just a lot of people made that decision and it doesn't necessarily have to be a completely you know you don't have to be um outwardly thinking sure what's the point we're going to lose to dublin in the final it could just be a kind of a feeling you have that you couldn't be arsed and i think watching the, the match the night before could have just tipped you over the edge hmm. yeah like and I'm sure that's a mitigating factor. I'm sure the combination of games is a mitigating factor. You mentioned the price there. Like, the to increase the amount of games and increase the price defies logic. I don't understand how you can do both to a fan. You're both... So the cost is naturally going to increase because you're increasing the amount of games you have to go to. And as it happens, the way the games fell for a carrier this year, every, there's been something riding on every game. Like, the you go back to the very start against Cork. That's obviously a monster final then Mayo in Fitzgerald Stadium was a huge game. The Donegal game was obviously massive, but because of the way things fell out, the me game actually became really important as well. And then finally, you're going to add this game on top. So the cost, to increase cost for our NSA finals and finals, while increasing the number of games, I think is totally unfair on fans. That should have been taken into consideration, and it wasn't, clearly. That's obviously a mitigating factor. You, as you mentioned there, Mick, like, I think that is a mitigating factor, the Dublin omni-dominance and people kind of, feeling like this might be a race for who's going to be the bridesmaid as opposed to who's going to win it out. But this, I still can't get away from the fact that it's such a such a stark sign of where the game is at. Like, if this isn't, if this isn't a wake-up call, what is? I don't know. Yeah. That's the feeling I get is that there's a... I don't think there will be a wake-up call, by the way, because ultimately 
you know, it's like what I was talking about. If you're looking for reason, you know, you might they'll look at the combined figure and say that all is rosy in the garden, as opposed to, you know, I just feel like that's what will happen. I really do. I don't. I feel that there's a lack of a desire to look in the mirror at the moment, um, because ultimately what you'll be looking at is a lot of bad decisions that have made you know a. You know, there's a lot of it that's just the way it is. You know, yeah. this is, happens to be a really, really good Dublin team that are taking a lot of the fun out of the out of the equation. But also, a lot of bad decisions have brought us to this point as well. And you know, the person who makes the mistakes, the last person to ever realise it. You know, and I think that's why the GEA will gloss over this and it won't be a wake up call. But it absolutely should be because you guys were both there, right, lads? How many All Ireland semi-finals have you been at? There is, it's a it's a unique, brilliant occasion that you feel a buzz beforehand and there's the pre- you know there's that sort of just sense of occasion and I wasn't there you guys were I doubt that sense of occasion was there yesterday and the match as it played out felt like that it felt like a league match after 20 minutes yeah my, my girlfriend was sitting next to me and she was like I can't believe you brought me to this thing <laughs> <laughs> it picked up a little bit in the second half but yeah, the, the atmosphere was dead. There was, there was no atmosphere at all. Like, you were wonder, wondering, where closed. the hell are all the people? Yeah. Oh, yeah like, completely closed. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a surprise because I was looking, looking at buying tickets during the weekend. It was like, oh, there's, there's, no top, like, there's no tickets on the top tier available. That's where you want to go. It's where you see like, the best view kind of tactically of the game. And it, they weren't available. I presume, like, are they all sold out? What's going on here? <laughs> Obviously, they weren't. I think like, it does seem like an accumulation of like, several daggers the that which has diminished the attendance at mm. this game like it is I, I i don't think it's for Kerry it's the dominance of dublin because i think there was still like there's optimism about this young team like i mean who else is there like if if Kerry people aren't optimistic about the chances of their this young team beating dublin then who is there is it a general I think both sets of fans might believe in their best day they can beat Dublin. I don't know if they'd given up beforehand, but I just wonder, is there a general sense of disillusionment with the entire thing, really? I don't know. I can't put my finger on that. Like, I don't think they're... Like, I, don't, I don't know if that's a factor. Like, I think the, the only sense of disillusionment... Like, I don't think anybody went would have, prior to that, knock on because they don't think it would have been a, a good game. I think the biggest thing for me I think is that neutrals would have definitely been turned off because of what happened on Saturday night I think they just would have felt like if there was any floating voter you would think like I, I, this game doesn't have as much riding on it because whoever wins is going into a procession in, mm. a, in a final I, I, we like shouldn't the, rely on neutrals to get more than 40,000 at a game now and they're two not, not the greatest fans that we put all the factors in and actually I just want to talk about the price and stuff for a minute because there's I don't like using words like you know simplistic words like greed and stuff like that because you know there's obviously a lot goes into these decisions and it, it's, it's more than just a, a it's not a man twiddling his moustache you know, yeah. <laughs> making these decisions. But, like, you do have to wonder what kind of logic goes into... Um, and, again, it's, it, it's the looking in the mirror thing that I'm talking about a minute ago. So they'll come back and say, 50 euro into a top-class sporting event isn't really that big a thing if you look at comparisons to here, here, and here. But, like, these are every week games. And for me, and I could be wrong about this, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but my sense is that the people in Crow Park take everything into account as if they're talking about a Dublin fan. I, I really do think that. I think they're thinking that a, a day, a going to that match is €50 Euro per person as opposed to what it isn't, which is which it actually is about 120 per person, if not more, if you're coming from Kerry yeah. or Mayo or Tyrone. 
because I think the price was something like 80 euro return on the train. And that's if you're getting the train, obviously, you know. But you add in the cost of, like, a full day, cost of food, everything like that. I don't know if it's taken into consideration just what these just general GA supporters around the country have to do to come and support their county team. And then I feel like they're just derided for not doing it, you know. On a much more positive note, lads, when did Dublin start celebrating goals again? (laughs) (laughs) So the Conor Callaghan one, I think that was coming, like there was a needle between himself and Keegan all the way through. Um, Like he he made a beeline for Keegan after getting that goal, hit him a nice stunt and then was was clearly talking to him. I've no doubt that Keegan had been talking to him throughout that and he was too happy to get it. But even his second one, he made a beeline back and it wasn't like it wasn't it was a it was like a celebration a football celebration when he scores against his former team like it was muted but it was a celebration nevertheless kind of a hand up um, not like over zealous but then Brian Fenton nearly hopped into the front row of the sand after he scored he two arms clenched delighted I think it's great to see the players celebrate obviously we've all talked about this the dumb players seem to not celebrate goals anymore that seems to have changed Michael Dermacauley was pretty delighted when he had the slam dunk goal as well but the weekend was we're, f- we're fully back. The the celebration lives on. See, I think my theory is that the lads now actually know Jim Gavin so well that they know that what happens is as soon as that ball hits the back of the net, Jim Gavin is looking for the kick out. He can't see it. So they can sneak in a quick celebration without Gavin seeing them and pulling them off. <laughs> I presume it's also a sign of how far Dublin are ahead that you can also not just relax a little bit in that you know you you know you're you've that game won like you 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 know you're I mean like you came out with that blitz in the early second half and you had a feeling like within ten minutes well this game is over of course we can like sit we can actually celebrate goals now yeah. and I think they can do that in general like yeah in in pretty much every game though. Uh, it's liberation yeah. there's also like eighty two thousand people there it's evening oh, have it to feels that, like yeah. it feels like a massive massive occasion. And there is that sense when, as PJ says, if you know you're there, you're in the All-Ireland Final. I don't care how many you win in a row. When you get that sense after losing a half-time that you're going to be go to the All-Ireland Final again, you're going to release a little bit of emotion, aren't you? Finally, before we get talking about the games, uh, after this weekend, no, that means that of the last four All-Ireland Finals, Donny Buckley has been involved in three the non-Dublin clubs that have gotten to a game I don't know understand what a I'd love to know what a backroom coach like this is actually doing so his record now stands at he's been involved whether it be Mayo Kerry in his various capacities as a backroom coach he's been involved in three of the last four Ireland final teams that have gotten there he's gotten five this decade four different teams that he's been involved in have gotten within a point of Dublin I, I, I genuinely I'd love to know what it is that a, like Lee Keegan I think has probably gave me the best insight into what Tony Buckley does and he absolutely hailed him and the difference he made to their tackling and defensive not necessarily one-on-one defending which he did by their tackling but even just a defensive solidarity in terms of passing off players and shape and stuff like that but like it's one of those things it's so hard to how much do you put down to Tony Buckley's influence on this current carry team mm. it's hard to know uh, somebody I put this up on Twitter earlier today and somebody tweeted me he's like oh he was the first ever coach I saw to use um, a flip chart before a game I was like well that can't be the only thing he's doing like I don't understand what it is he's bringing to teams but it's clearly it must be working that can't be a coincidence I presume he, def- he must have bought something to this carry team because I, I, I'd be kind of scared if he wasn't there how bad would this carry defence <laughs> yeah, yeah. it, it is I mean like maybe little pro- there's been little improvements but ultimately, it's the same problems that have been going on for like five or six years. Yeah. Just, just huge gaps down the middle. 
they they were just there was no pressure on the ball out the field. Definitely the first half anyway, in, yeah. In the first half, maybe there was a little bit more in the second. Yeah, if if Donny Buckley wasn't there, I mean like how many more gaps I mean like how many more gaps would there be in this carry defence? <laughs> Before, before you move on to the games, actually, just mentioning the teams that Donny Buckley's been involved with, it just dawned on me yesterday, over the course of the weekend, really, because of the four teams that were involved, like, since Dublin have kind of come on in 2011, the only teams they've beaten in All-Ireland Finals were the three teams that were also in action this weekend, and if you think Donegal's All-Ireland into that, and the fact that Donegal were the other team in the bracket this year when there was such a clear front five, it is really funny that this decade has been defined by, obviously Dublin out on their own by miles, but then after that, a, a bunch of four teams that hasn't been bothered at all by really anyone. I look about maybe Galway, we were hoping might get over the line, they had a couple of okay years, got to a semi-final last year and fallen off again. Yeah. Cork have gone off the radar completely, you know, you're looking at Mead maybe trying to build almost from scratch at the moment Armagh are kind of coming back again from nowhere really this decade it's actually been a very poor as we kind of reach the end of it it's actually been a very poor decade since Cork and Down in the first All-Ireland final of it you look at from 2011 on it's been very very predictable and the same and as Look, if you want to talk about it like in a Premier League comparison it's like Manchester United running away with things but we kind of know who the top four are as well and I think that's another point about the game that is like, you know, we're not getting shocks anywhere anymore. It's not just that Dublin are running away with it. It just and it's just something that occurred to me over the course of the weekend when I was like, I've seen all of these teams a lot of times over the last number of years and it just would be nice for somebody to just kind of break into that break section. Sitting, yeah. Even if you can't get up as far as Dublin, just get into that category and it just hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. I I genuinely do think Galway are the best suited to in terms of what they have at their disposal if it was properly harnessed to to break into that but that's it that's the conversation for another day Mick. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Dublin Mayo let's, uh, there's no getting away from what the crucial period in this game if you break it down in the first quarter the score was Dublin 4 points Mayo 4 points in the second quarter it was Dublin 2 points Mayo 2 points so far so good in the third quarter it was Dublin 2-6 Mayo 1 goal in that quarter and then finally it was Dublin won two and Mayo two points. But that third quarter, if you actually dive into that third quarter, that's between the 35th minute and the 52nd minute. In that period, Dublin had 10 attacks. Of those 10 attacks, they got 10 shots away. Of those 10 shots, they had eight scores. Mayo had eight attacks. Of those eight attacks, they got seven shots away. Of those seven shots in that period, they had one score, hmm. which is incredible. It's like, it's, again, we got chalk and cheese in terms of what actually happened there. Up until halftime, it, like, were you at, can you remember how you felt at half time, PJ? Did you think that Mayo had a genuine chance at that stage? I still thought Dublin were going to win, but I was like, I'm watching this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I still felt like I have to watch this game. Like I, I like I was I was in a pub watching it at, at the second day of a wedding, and I, I I I went and told some big lad to get the hell out of the way in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to watch this game. Yeah, I, I I was genuinely interested in it, and then like you look up, and it's, the game's over essentially, like ten minutes later. Yeah. So quickly, like I tweeted at halftime, Mayo or Mayo, um, in a, like as in Jesus, nobody puts it up to the dubs like Mayo, you know. And by the time most Mayo people had seen that tweet, they thought it was a dig at, <laughs> at, at, at them collapsing in the second half. And I got like you know, even friends of mine going, Jesus, Mick, for God's sake, like, you know, leave us alone. And I'm like, that was a positive tweet. Um, so that's kind of how it went. Like I was, as like PJ, I was, I was watching that. It was in a, in a pub in La Hinch, which was good crack now because there was a lot of dubs there, but everybody else was obviously vehemently anti-Dublin. And at halftime. Time, while again we thought Dublin were going to win 
you just said, like, here we go again. Mm. Mayo are doing it. Maybe this time. Maybe this time they'll manage it. Or they're going to lose by a point or two. And, you know, Villa were beating Spurs at the same time. And, you know, I was letting it get to my head a little bit, I think. <laughs> you know, and then sure, it was just talk about a deflated balloon. And yeah. it, it's, it's funny because it's only like, it's only during the final quarter, which was a dead rubber, that you started to reflect on how awesome Dublin were in that time. Yeah. And not just kind of like the, the disappointment of and, and confusion and kind of anger in a way over what had happened to Mayo, you know? Like, it, it's funny you, you use the word awesome there. That's the word, like, so, as I think has been well established on this podcast, I, I read everything after the game. Like, I was really keen to see how people would refle- reflect that. And, like, I don't know if, how do you reflect that period of time? What happened in that 10, maybe it was only even seven minutes spell after after time. I don't know if anybody can really like I don't know if it was awesome. It felt it felt vicious. It was mm. just absolutely insane, rootless football the, some of the best period of football that I've ever seen in almost every fashion. Like not only in the way that they attacked, the way they moved the ball. Like you saw the way Mannion won the ball out in front for Khan's first goal was incredible. That that his ball winning ability. But even on the other side of the ball, they're just incredible like all full court press on Dublin on Mayo's kickouts they totally they dismantled in that period that dispel that we're talking about they totally dismantled Mayo's yeah. kickout so you Mayo had, didn't have possession for like six minutes at one stage because it was just a dead ball by Dublin kick out back to Dublin same again exactly so you had after uh, Conor Cannon had the goal straight after that ball Dunn win the ball back uh, Niall Scully followed up with a wide off that ball Mayo uh, Michael Darren McCauley actually broke the ball Mayo fouled it gave away free they got the ball back then there was a scully point after that was the, that incredible Fenton mark. We'll talk about Brian Fenton in a second. That mark was like, when you're feeling the ball, the one thing you want is some sort of space in front of you because you generate forward momentum to get up in the ball. Mm-hmm. He had players on front and behind him and still managed to generate momentum to just go like a rocket straight up into the air and catch a ball. I don't know how we talked about trying to spoil him. I actually don't know how what you would have done in a scenario like that. <laughs> so you just, it's just stand there in awe, yeah. really. And then after that, you had the Brian Howard's uh, again jumping up like he was on a pogo stick getting up in the air and breaking it down for Kilkenny that was f- straight away four, co- four kickouts lost the ball all four times so you, you're under constant pressure you can't ever ease it there's no outlet and it's just wave after wave after wave of it's like Marlow lads it's like once once they, deci- <laughs> once they decided they were dead they were dead and there was just nothing they could do about it they had a great stat in the Sunday game that's not shown I think it was the last four Ireland finals where Dublin's uh, shooting percentage shooting percentage has gone up their accuracy has gone up in the second half of pretty much every All-Ireland final. And that, I think that's partially down because Dublin, Dublin they're, they're great footballers, but they're better athletes than you. They're, yeah. they're definitely, like, they're, they're better athletes. They have, they have another gear to go into in the second half while you're, like, you've put everything into that first half, like Mayo did. Yeah. Dublin still have another gear to go up. And yeah. that's, that's, that's where they just blow teams away, I think, because they're, they're, is it just their strength and conditioning? Is it, is it just better? Is it, are they doing it better than everyone else? Or are they targeting periods of the game? Mm-hmm. Like, is that, you know, were Dublin playing somewhat within themselves in the first half to keep their energy to, to pounce after half time? You don't know. I think that's, that might be one of those ones where we give some, we, we, we admire someone like Gavin so much that you almost give him too much credit and think, you know, as opposed to it just being some, a shackles off kind of display, you know. But uh, on that idea, right? Yeah. It's just interesting, right? I watched this game back on Sky Sports and they showed the, the toss. Two captains go together, Cluxton's there in his full tracksuit. And they, Dublin obviously won the toss. And the sec- literally the seconds 
the he realized he'd won the toss. Clucks was pointed into the hill. We want to shoot into the hill. So it was obviously preordained. I thought that was interesting. I was like, why would you elect to, like surely during that second half run, that's when you want to be shooting into that side. And you know, the first half you want to you don't mind shooting into the canal end. And then anyway, the game started and the, if you look at the I can't show people this obviously because this is a podcast but the shooting uh, <laughs> chart Mayo's scores in the first half if you can if some people can try and recall where those scores came from they were all kind of outside the scoring zone like they were if you, if, if you look at the graph it's, it's they're long range points with the benefit of maybe a wind or maybe conditions I don't know what but certainly the benefit of something because that's where they were shooting from and I think Dublin were content to know that we'll take way more chances than ye in the second half. I, 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 I never really got the sense, to be honest, that if, if Dublin were really going to be rattled, I think it had to be six or seven down, mm. not two at half time. Like there was a moment where it was actually, people seemed to be suggested that Brian Fenton had a bad first half, if we can move on and talk about him for a second. There was a moment in the first half, in the sixth minute, where Brian Fenton got turned over attacking. So oh, he, he, yeah, he got turned over, lost the ball. Actually, I think it was like got, might have been pulled for over carrying, and Mayo launched an attack. And between that, that that was just before the six minutes. Between that and the ninth minute and eighteen seconds, Mayo had uninterrupted possession. That's it's a over three minute spell of uninterrupted. Now they two twice Dublin fouled them, so Mayo had freeze. Aidan O'Shea took one. The other one across from Joe McDonough had the ball for that one, but it was in terms of their enjoying possession, it was totally interrupted. And if you, as I watch that passage back, Brian Fenton is just stalking along. He's close, like, he's like hunting prey, basically. Like, he's, he's never really engaging anybody, but anytime where the ball goes, he's in the vicinity of it. He's, he's lurking around, and he's just waiting, he's waiting. Like a great midfielder. And he's totally content just to let them, he's like, I let you, like, play away with there. I let you do whatever you want. Like, he can keep the ball out there. But as soon as he come near, I'm going to pounce. Like, I'm going to get you. And sure enough, Aidan O'Shea makes a breakthrough, and you're like, oh, this is a great scoring opportunity. He li- winds up a shot. Just before he hits a shot, he's hammered. Brian Fenton, who's in from behind him, and he skews the ball and it goes wide. And I was like, and that for me anyway, that was nine minutes in. And straight I was thinking, this is still being played on Dublin's terms. Dublin mightn't be as comfortable as they like, but this is still on their terms. Like, the, Fenton shouldn't be able to do that. He should, mm. Somebody should be, he should be somewhat taken out of his comfort zone. And he is just, he was at his leisure for that entire passage. And straight away, I, that for me was a red flag. Like, you haven't, Dublin, like, for want of a, a better phrase, you haven't rattled them. Like you haven't, it was you, you haven't really hopped off them in any way. And so, th- at that point, I was thinking, this, I, I don't think um, Dublin will do it. Now, I still thought, as I, if anybody listened to our other podcast, I still thought that Mayo might be ahead at halftime, as I said. But, it, but as soon as Dublin wanted to move through the gears, which they did, and I, uh, that still isn't fair to what they did because what they did was so, just like awestruck. It was incredible how flat to the mat they went and just blitzed. It was like the blitzkrieg of all that Mayo were just torn asunder in that spell and I don't know any team that, as, as long as I've been watching any football I don't know any team that could have lived with them in that spell For, <laughs> what I think about when I, th- when I watch this Dublin team at the moment is Canerly on second captains talking about Man City after they beat Watford and destroyed Watford in the FA Cup final yeah. about Man City being like this uh government defence robot which went on a killing spree <laughs> now everyone is kind of like oh Jesus uh, <laughs> this isn't great is it <laughs> yeah like, and does, does my friend not embody that like uh, Stephen Cluxton will go down as the uh, most the uh, probably definitely the most influential player on of this the Dublin team the, this, this Dublin era which actually encompasses a lot of different teams and I think like in terms of sheer 
ability, I, I, I actually think Conor Callaghan might be to go away as being that player. But in terms of like encompassing both, what this Dublin team do so well, like the technical proficiency, but also just athletic ability, I think Brian Fenton is the yeah. is the archetype. Like, there's no one. I don't know how anybody you will never Andy leads from the front so you put in that kind of mental aspect of the game as well and it seems to me like Brian Fenton is front and centre for every kind of mental test that you'd want in a, in a, in a player as well exactly yeah. and I, don't, I actually don't think I don't, I don't think no matter there's no I don't think you'll ever beat him I don't think you will ever no player from what I've seen will ever beat him now you might like if you do extremely well and do what um, Jack Barry did that time for, for Kerry you might neutralize him, but you will never, like, you will never ever go out and outplay Brian Fenton. You're, the best thing you can do is call it even splits, try and mark him out of the game, which Mio didn't actually really try and do funnily, right? So they, let's talk about matchups, because I know, um, Mick, you've got some strong thoughts on this. Um, Ruan, which actually we predicted, we didn't know if he had the engine. As I said at the time, I didn't think he would. Like, And sure enough, come 15 minutes, Brian Fenton's making these last minute dashing runs that nobody this isn't a criticism of Ryan. no I don't know who can live with them after 50 minutes trying to track that man um, Keegan on Conor Callaghan so we talked about my Rosa was Lee Keegan on Brian Fenton I thought if anybody could neutralise him he could and that's all you're ever going to do but he didn't he went on Conor Callaghan and like we said we don't know what Donny Buckley does like I think sometimes it's okay when you're analysing things to say you don't know because like, we can't pretend to know everything and by the same token, I don't know what James Horn was thinking when he stuck Lee Keegan on Conor Callahan because we said on Friday, this is in hindsight analysis, we said on Friday, and this is our limited understanding of the game, a man who clearly knows more about it than we do and he's demonstrated that. We said on Friday that Lee Keegan can't be left in the full-back line in terms of being expected to do that job. He's not, he's a, he's a good tagger, but in terms of that man-marking inside, and if that happens, what I would assume would happen is Cone would swap with him, whoever goes in there, if it was on Kenny or... But I, I said it's a guarantee. If whoever Lee Keegan is on, they're going to try and get into the forward line, and that's why if you put him on Fenton, that's way less likely to happen. But they didn't. They left him on Conor Callahan, and sure enough... Within a five minutes, Betty's two goals. Yeah. So I was messaging you and a couple of lads on during the match, and I think you probably sensed that like I went from being a little bit flabbergasted to borderline angry for a few minutes in the second half because it doesn't make any sense to me that James Horan, someone who you can hear him, he was on Sky, he would have been on different places as, a, as an analyst after after the, you left Mayo the first time. Is a very good understanding of the game. He's a very like he, he wasn't he, he wasn't just a charismatic manager when he was there. He's a very good oh, tactician, like, you know. Yeah. And of course, he's intelligent. But I mean, like, is in like he knows the game so inside out and has really really interesting thoughts on it. And it didn't make any sense to me that three of us sitting here on Friday, like you talked about Keegan being on Fenton, and Mark said Keegan should be on Con, right? But. Whatever about that disagreement, there was absolutely ample, immediate agreement from the three of us that if Khan goes inside, no chance. You cannot leave Lee Keegan in there. One, it's a waste of Lee Keegan, which I think everybody would agree on what we saw when he eventually got let off the shackles. He was, uh, you know, it wasn't as if Mayo were going to get into the game, but Lee Keegan suddenly became their full-on playmaker and obviously scored a goal, everything like that. And then two, it's just like, he's not equipped to do that. He's not equipped to do that against the most dangerous forward in the country now. You know, which which Khan has become. And it showed, like, there was one goal, like, I think Keegan slipped maybe a little bit for one of them. And then in the other one, there was no sense of that at all. And he was five yards off, you know. And as you said, there could have been a goal in the first half. The same thing. It just, it was ludicrous he left it so long. And it was so 
just absolutely baffling that James Horan, one of the best managers in the country, didn't say this isn't working. And what I don't understand is in a man marking system, we talk about matchups all the time and we talk about who'll take who when we're looking forward to a game. And that's all great. But I don't understand is that when the, the opposition changes it, that the team who's doing this marking doesn't change with that. So if Conor Callahan was thought of as a centre forward that needed a man marker, then surely if he goes and plays full forward, you change up what you're thinking. You have a plan B. You and adapt, maybe yeah. Cohen or Brennan Harrison takes him and Keegan takes Paul Mannion. It's a very simple thing. If Dublin say, well, that's not what we're going for, they switch it back, you've won that battle. You know, maybe they keep doing it. But then Dublin, are, then you've got the opposition, you've got the forward line, more worried about trying to, org- trying to orchestrate matchups than they are about playing the game and winning the game. And you, you're, you've completely got one up. And I just don't get why you think one of the best attacking halfbacks in the history of the game was best served to play cornerback against the most dangerous forward in the, in the, in the sport. And so if we could just kind of spell out what it looked like Mayo's plan was. So the, what, the, what they seemed to want to do was that they weren't going to rush into attacks. They were going to move the ball intelligently, try and keep some sort of stretch. It didn't actually exist. Like I think Killian O'Connor was supposed to stretch them, but without Moore and Orcon, who both didn't start, that didn't really work. They had, they packed the middle with a load of huge athletic players. And I think that again is like, you're looking to... The players that we mentioned last week, Mick, uh, you're looking to curtail. So Durkin did a brilliant job on Jack McCaffrey, did an a, a, excellent job, as he has done on Ryan McHugh and Shane Walsh already this year. There was a moment, actually, you know when in the second half the throw and Mike Darren McCauley went up and just punched the ball? Uh, it ended in a free, but as that happened, Jack McCaffrey just burst from wing back, just absolutely burst, taken up off the field. And it's, this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. Stride for stride, Paddy Dreckin matched him. The whole, the whole, the whole sprint, the flat out sprint, it was a free, but it was like a, a 70 meter dash. And stride for stride, Dreckin was there with him the whole way. I've never seen, like, my abiding memory of Jack McCaffrey is making that run and somebody else in his dust emptying themselves to try and get within five yards of him. But I've never seen a player actually match him stride for stride in the way that Durkin did did, did right there. But they saw that Durkin did a, a, a decent job. Um, Durkin did a really good job, actually. Mm. Ruan did decent for the first half. It's only faded out of the game. Aidan O'Shea, as we said, starting centre-forward, faded out of the end of the second half again. But the one that was obvious, it was obvious to me after five minutes when Conor Callan had the, the first Dublin chance, which was a goal chance. He dropped the ball in front of him. And Keegan I, I might have fouled him, I'm not quite sure. I think it probably would have been harsh. But from that second on, you think that could be that could be dangerous if they orchestrate space in front of him as they did by attacking Boyle in the second half and taking him out of it. And then you've left a player who's who's a very tenacious and incredible uh, tiger, but not in terms of being a man-marker, one-on-one inside with no other protection against one of the most talented forwards in the country right now. I, I just... I don't but it's just Dublin have so many advantages before you go into a game. You and Jim Gavin is a brilliant manager in lots and lots of different ways. But what you can't afford to do is lose a simple one-on-one battle of wits with the manager, with the other manager, because that's one place that you at least have a chance of, you know, of of coming out on par. Yeah, you know, and for for Dublin to have won that battle so easily by literally just doing what you said they do in a throwaway part of the conversation that we had when we were analysing this game on Friday was like well Keegan shouldn't probably take Con because they'll just put Con for, full forward that was your instant reaction to Mark saying that to you and how James Horan couldn't one um, uh, predict that 
or identify that in advance and to adapt to it when it did happen it just it it really does beg a relief. I can't, I can't get over it. Like, it's probably not the reason. Like, I don't think it's the reason that Mayo lost the game. I, agree, I think yeah. Dublin's performance in the second half, in that quarter you're talking about, it was unplayable. And maybe we shouldn't make it too big a deal of it. But these things are, they're important to watch and analyse as well. And sometimes, sometimes something like that can, maybe, maybe you, you don't, you can't, do that from the sideline at the moment maybe you need somebody helping you around the stadium as well to see it but most of the time they're not as obvious as this most of the time it's not as clear cut that this guy's in trouble what are we doing and wouldn't it be great just a last thing before we move on to we've got 30 second winges coming in a second but uh, before we move on to that wouldn't it be great to have somebody who could actually articulate that like I'd love to sit down with James Horn and try and just in terms of pure understanding from a tactical perspective because I'm fascinated to know what what were you thinking at that time and like it's the one thing I think we lack a small bit in current GA code is that kind of somebody like it wasn't it weird Malik O'Rourke was on the Mountain Manager Malik O'Rourke former Mountain Manager was on the Sunday game last night and it was bizarrely Kieran Whelan who was asking him what would you have done in that mm. scenario or like and I thought they were great questions but I was like why is why does it take a former player asking a former manager about this like why can't we get that sort of analysis elsewhere? I think that would be brilliant just to understand like somebody who could articulate to us some bit of insight into what exactly Donny Buckley has done with this carry team what exactly was was James Horn what was his the theory behind what he did obviously in practice it didn't work out but what was the because I as I said like I think I don't think there's any shame in admitting I don't know like I don't know what the 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 real intention was there what was it to try and put Conor Callan on the back foot in which case I don't think that was ever really going to work but I'd love to somebody to be able to articulate that stuff to us um, can I make one more point before we do the second can, yeah. I want to talk a little like Mayo aren't gone right they might change things up a little bit and it might be the end of a few of these lads and others will take different roles in the team and etc etc but they still have there's enough young guys coming through there that like they'll still be relevant I, I think, agree you know? yeah. um, but one thing I think they have to do is just make a decision on their goalkeeper one way or another because if you Henley is brought in every few games because they need the kickouts and Every kickout definitely wasn't his fault during the week, but there's almost so much pressure on that one aspect of his game that when he doesn't get it right at all, it's like, I'd say it's the weight of the world in the shoulders and it makes every other one harder because he's almost in just specifically for them, you know? And if you look at, like, obviously a couple of the kickouts that you were talking about there when Dublin were at their most awesome there's not much you could have done about a lot of them. That was there was no he had to kick them long. Dublin were winning those battles, but before that and leading up to it, and what helped Dublin get back into the game were sloppy, sloppy kickouts. Like one of them that went straight down Con's throat. Um, there was another one in the first half actually that Dublin got a score off. Think about the difference between a three point lead and a two point lead, even psychologically going in at half time. There was about three of them, and for me, he does it all the time. And for me, when the pressure is on, Rob Henley's kickouts get worse. You know, so. I don't, I, I just, I can't, I think it sends such a bad message. And I think we talked about Galway doing the same thing earlier on in the year. I think it sends such a bad message that you're constantly changing your goalkeeper. And I think they actually just have to stop it. They have to just give someone the number one job. It's too important a position. I do, like, Mayo may were on, what, their seventh game in eight weeks? I mean, yeah. that, that's going to have to have, like, a major effect to you in that, in that game against the best team in the country. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to hurt you, like... Really, Mayo lost this this All Ireland semi final when they 
didn't beat Roscommon. Roscommon. <laughs> Do you know what? That, I'm really glad you said that because I've seen a lot of complaining about that today. But and I look, look, you don't have to convince me about the problem with the super rates, and you don't have to convince me with the problem with the the condensed summer schedule because I don't like it, and I think there should be more between games. But this idea that Mayo have somehow be hard done by by a system that's allowed them to lose mm. two games and get to an all around quarter semi final where Dublin didn't lose any games, and you can talk about differences in provinces and whatever else. I understand all that, but Dublin were rightly rewarded for being able to take last weekend off basically by playing the second team against Throne and Mayo lost by 10 points to Kerry you know by yep. being in a similar situation so of course it did have an effect but this idea that it was somehow massively unfair on Mayo specifically and an advantage to Dublin Dublin earned that advantage you know now there's plenty of other ones that we can talk about <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> I, I, I think like in some ways this, this season has kind of been a little bit of a bonus for Mayo in that I know maybe maybe they're Ambition for next year is a little bit kind of destroyed here, that by the like by how badly it lost there. But I feel like James Horn was planning for the future. He was in yeah. in, in this season and getting to an Ireland semi final is maybe, maybe it's even further than he thought he was going to get this year. Yeah, and and there, that's, uh, that's the thing. I think there's a huge ceiling on the likes. Like I would just to echo what you just said, Mick. Like the the ceiling on the likes of Jim O'Connor, Fergal Boland, James Carr, Matthew Ruan coming back fit um, is massive. Like I. I, I I don't think they'll go away either. It might be this iteration might 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 change and evolve, but uh, I still think they'll be a force. Um, Thirty second winges, lads. Thirty second wine time. Mick, you're up first here. You've, you've, okay. You, are you right? Yeah, I think so. Three, two, one. You're I right. wish people would start to realise that two things can be true at one time. I saw an awful lot of reaction yesterday about people talking about Dublin um, advantages and their ruining of the game being somehow disrespectful to this great team. Dublin, this Dublin team is one of the best teams, that is probably the best football team that I've ever seen play the game. I think they would be that way almost anyway. But the idea that you can't talk about another issue, one that is possibly ruining the game in a bigger sense and one that is based on massive unfairness is ridiculous. And look, none of those things are new. The most important thing I have to say here is two things can be true at the same time. And saying one thing doesn't necessarily contradict the other. Right, PJ Brown. Pulling off the ball in GA is one of the most annoying aspects of the sport. I mean, every team does it, but in particular yesterday, like I was in the Davin, and in front of me, Conor Myler was stuck to Sean O'Shea like Velcro. Not normal Velcro, some kind of special Velcro <laughs> that Mickey Hart seems to have developed. And <laughs> he, he was just like, Sean O'Shea was, was trying to make runs for, the ball was 20 metres away and he couldn't because Conor Myler had a grab of his jersey. Can I just point out to the to the two Kerry men in the room with me that there was a period of play in the first half where Peter Hart tried to run up the field just Thomas literally 100 Sullivan. yards and he, he was stopped six times by Tom O'Sullivan who just basically punched him in the chest each Stunts, time. Yeah. Just dumped him. Peter Hart would stop dead, would not react, would turn, move one step to the left and start running again. It took him six goals to run about 40 yards. <laughs> that Tommy, that Tommy Walsh did the, the same thing to Niall Morgan. Niall Morgan was 45. And got booked for it. Trying to go for 45. <laughs> he he kept, yeah, like, kept pushing him back. Like I said, every team is pulling every, dragon yeah, off the ball. Yeah, okay? yeah. Can I... Sp- and it's a very... I witch it. Can I make a a counterpoint to that just like to get away from your your relentless negativity and cynicism of the two of you it was unbelievably refreshing for you PJ said he was in the Davos and I was in the corner of the Cusack to see like I know I wouldn't wish 
I actually wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy to mark Colin McShane <laughs> or David Clifford. I, it's just such a daunting prospect, especially the amount of space I have in front of them at times. And I thought it was really like encouraging to see after I know I like I talked at length about the Donegal game, but to see whether it be McNamee, Foley or Morley, even though their job they might have done the best ever jobs, but to see them try and go at it hard and honest, like not this needless bullshit of like I remember one stage David Clifford ran into a goal to get a bottle of water this year and the opposition player was pulling the, bo- the water away yeah. I was just like stop it like the, yeah. just go at it properly and that's like McNamee especially I think Mac- like, McNamee gets a bad rap but he went, they just went at it hard and honest and I like when Clifford had the ball he let him know that he was there but when the ball was up the other field he's not like he's not standing on his toes he's not holding pinning him to the ground he's not doing any of that just rubbish like just went at it the and right it way and it cost Toronto a place in the All-Ireland <laughs> final <laughs> they were too soft Sean <laughs> Shade at one point yesterday was trying to make a run out for they'd been a white with a white ball at a that, point yeah, and yeah. he was trying to make a run out to get himself in position for the kick out and Myler wouldn't let him run out like he, he was, he was the, the, they were off the pitch. The two of them were off the pitch, and Myler was preventing him from running out to round centre forward. Are you going to do a thirty second winch? I am. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say one more thing? It doesn't have to be timed. I think it's a small one, but it's base. It's 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 not too far off what PJ is saying here. But like I thought, Deegan had a weird run of decisions in the second half yesterday where everything was just a free in there was about seven free ins and freeze in in a row uh, for O'Shea and 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 for McShane, but. Outside of that, like impossible referees decisions and all as there is, I think we need to like look. I, nobody thinks Desi Dolan's the greatest co-commentator in the world, but just in general on the TV coverage, this idea that you've decided what you saw live and don't change your mind based on the evidence of the replay. There was one stage where Stephen O'Brien was running through, and Desi decided it. There was a soft free in. No chance was that a free. And then they watched the replay, and in super slow motion, you see that his entire arm and shoulder were dragged back forcefully by the thrown defender. And Desi's like, ah, it's a, there's no free there now. It's a terrible soft free. Just, we talked about it with Michael Dignan with the square ball a few weeks ago. It's just <laughs> let your eyes contradict you. If, they, if you were wrong, you were wrong. Just admit it. Michael, uh, you count me in. I will. Three, two, and one. Look, there, there's numerous learnings from the Joe Bollier piece of the weekend. I don't want you to respond to this. I don't want. I just want to make this point. Uh, I don't even want to bring him up again, right? I mean, like, in in one way, actually, that absolutely shows the importance of having a strong anchor like Juan Cantonwell because he tried to tee that up definitely on the live broadcast and he was cut off from doing it. Rightly, I think. Um, I think it suits people to put it down to character because then you don't have to discuss the fact that Dublin are just better and wider, better, which he seems to be blind to. I think he's well able to cherry pick stuff. We've seen that in his analysis in the past, strictly with data. But to build a strong an article like that, I think, is is unfair. But ultimately, lads, yeah, ultimately, you can well, talk about character. You can talk about how they are as men. You can talk about all that stuff. We can get into setups, structures, systems, all that stuff. But at the very end of the day, the reason that Mayo lost that game is because Dublin are a better team. Brian Fenton is a better midfielder than Aidan O'Shea. Paul Cannon is a better forward than Aidan O'Mahony. Stephen Cookson is a better goalkeeper than Rob Henley. And you can make you can try and make a cut off them to talk about them as men or anything other than that. And you can talk about why they're better. But at the end of the day, Dublin are a better team. That's just it. It's just it is literally that simple. It is that simple. PJ, can I ask you a question? Go on. If is it possible for two things to be true at the same time? Going back to my thirty-second whinge, that what Joe Brawley wrote was borderline disgraceful and really, really unfair and based in no truth at all, but that the reaction in Mayo was way over the top as well. I didn't, thankfully I didn't see much of the reaction to tell you the truth, yeah? <laughs> I'm only joking, I'm only joking. I just, you know, it's like, if it was written about another county, 
I don't think it would have struck the same chord and I think that's why Joe did it and I think sometimes people need to look in the mirror as well not because they did anything wrong but because if you constantly if if somebody is trying to rise you and you're easy to rise you're only going to get it more times you're only going to get it way more and Joe Brawley is acting the bollocks let's face it and he's got a very 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 willing adversary in Mayo fans Lads we have to talk about Kerry and Tyrone the other semi-final because there are another team then are in a final um, the first half was appalling really uh, it was as the that game Jonah reminded me of I don't of, think you've gone far enough there uh, Jonah reminded me of though it was I said this at half time and I actually I, I don't regret it that, that the first half was worse than the 2011 the Dublin Donegal game it was worse because in this scenario I remember watching this half time like at least in that scenario right you had a sense that the winner of this will ultimately be Dublin, who have a chance to be a force this year. But at halftime, I was sitting there and I was thinking, neither of these teams, based off this performance, are going to come within an arse's roar of Dublin. And yet they, Kerry had no focal point to their attack and tried to play a running game, which just does not suit them. Tyrone inexplicably decided that they were going to try and shut them down entirely. And again, it's this prioritisation of defence over attack, which... Bruce Costley and we've talked about it at length but for the first half like we'll, we'll talk about the, what happened in the second half and the brilliant stuff to see the likes of Tommy Walsh do what he did and David Clifford who just looks like an absolute genius but the first half was, was really poor stuff Call, calling that a running game from Kerry is very generous <laughs> yeah. it, it was a jogging game it was a looping it, jogging game it was so game, ponderous yeah. and like it, it looked like I thought Emma McGee tweet yesterday has like has have Kerry seen Tyrone play? This is their default setting here. And you have no plan. You're, maybe you did have a plan, but it was an awful plan. It was a terrible plan. And you, you had no way of breaking this Tyrone team down. And it just like it was never going to work. I can't, I, I don't, why did it take until half time for him to make changes? I mean, like surely there was, there were changes to be made there, made there far earlier when you, when you thought this wasn't working. Yeah, is, but it wasn't that though, like oh, that's an interesting point, PJ. Because like from what I what I thought what happened was that I think there were like there were structural adjustments. So it was it wasn't a case of like we're we're going to totally change tack here. It was we don't have like and and we you know the scenario that you often get is that you've got a huge body of players clogging up along the forty five and and pressing the time now. And we I, I know I said this so much, but just one last time, I promise. If you don't have an inside man in that scenario, it's the best thing in the world to defend against. Because you you know, as a defender, that ball is not going to be kicked over my head. So he'll either have to run past me or give it off to somebody to come off a shoulder or shoot from there. But in terms of, it's a very one-dimensional way of attacking is this getting to a certain extent and then trying to get runners on the ball and... You know, and I I appreciate why Clifford or Spillane or Ganey were pushed out the field just in terms of like sheer desperation for for possession. But if you don't have that like a, a focal point to your attack, it's so one dimensional. Similarly, similarly, by the way, if you get to a certain point and your one plan is hit an inside man, one inside man, even if it is to hit McShane and he might have a field day, it still is one-dimensional. Like, there's one dimension to your attack as opposed to trying to do what I think is what happened in the second half. We'll give ourselves a second dimension. Mm. So Tommy Walsh is what, who brings that. So he suddenly is a... He's a focal point inside at the edge. Now, at the same time, I think the introduction of Jack Sherwood yeah. um, can't, can't go underappreciated either because that... Like, what Kerry lacked was 
uh, for want of a better phrase, like strong ball carriers, like players who have the, and that might be down to you've got kids, not kids, but you've got very young players on against an incredibly physical Tyrone team, not able to, to penetrate that way. But like the Jack Sherwood, the impetus he gave just around the centre in terms of uh, as a presence was huge as well. But I think like they were, to me anyway, they were kind of, they were minor adjustments. And we'll, we'll talk about Paul Murphy, we'll come back to Paul Murphy, but in terms of those changes, I think they were like, they were, I don't think they were that off the wall ideas they were well definitely what hugely needed but at the same time i think they were just minor adjustments that managed to, to, to get the job done did you know if there was a very strange moment i know you you mentioned there you thought clifford and ganey having to go way out the field looking for possession but just as tyrone got their first score i think it was michael mckernan there were no carry players in the tyrone half steve o'brien just stepped over the halfway line, <laughs> and he was the last Kerry player in the Tyrone half. When Michael McKernan kicked that point, there were no Kerry players in Tyrone half. That's mad, mm. yeah. And, and I I that, that's after three, four minutes, I think, yeah. But And that's what, like, when Rory Grugan, if, if people want to go back and just listen to this one bit, Rory Grugan said this to us, like, uh, the ideal defensive shape for teams right now is 15 players behind the ball. In an ideal scenario, but... That's from a defensive structure. And the problem is that you have to marry both. So he said, we, are under the, we understand, ideally, from a defensive scenario, we'd have 15 players behind the ball. But from an, an attacking perspective, from trying to win the game perspective, we need an outlet. We need somebody to kick the ball to if we turn over the ball or if we can launch a quick attack. Therefore, he said, we try and have at least two, hopefully four, up the field, up mm. on the other. So they're outlets. They're like I'm using this word over and over again I, I know that but they're focal points they're something to aim for that you're not trying to slowly meander up the ball and players can come back with you and the whole thing gravitates back and it looks a bit like the the basketball era yeah. of like players moving over and back yeah. as, a, as opposed to having a, an inside option just like even if it's like Tyrone have one option which isn't enough either like it, it needs to be it needs to be more like it need, and that, that, I think that's what Tommy Walsh brought that like and what he what Tommy Walsh does so well is not only is he, the, is he an option, but he actually brings other players mm. into it as he does it. I, I think when he came on immediately, he, I think that Kerry got three points off like off Tommy Welch, off Tommy Walsh, sorry, <laughs> I should say. Tommy Welch plays Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, off like, off Tommy Welch, there was, there was balls into him and there was, there was actually, the first one, David, uh, David Moran should have scored. There was a chance where Tommy Walsh kind of laid it off to him and David Moran hit it wide. But then a minute or two later, uh, it was pretty much the same score that Walsh laid it off to, to David Moran. And I, th- I think there was probably that Kearns or Ali kind of understanding there <laughs> but between the two of them. And yeah, the, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't amazing what Tommy Walsh, Tommy Walsh was doing in that situation. It was just like, he, he was just like a big man able to come out and he had an awareness of what was going on around him. But the, the other like two moments I would say mentioned about Tommy Walsh, there was in the, I think it was the 67th minute, Kerry were, they were like needing, they were up by three, they needed a moment of kind of leadership and there was no one showing for a ball from a free kick from David Moore. Tommy Walsh came out, claimed the ball in a hard situation and Kerry got another free kick and in the 72nd minute, he came back to right wing back and offered an option to Shane Ryan who was the, this, you, who was it, this yeah. young keeper who really needed somebody there to kind of step up and give him an option in like his first season. You could see how nervous he was because as soon when Tyrone stepped up in those last few minutes, he'd gone from, he'd been taking like the kind of, the, the good kind of short kick out options. Yeah. But all of a sudden he seemed to start worrying too much about making a mistake and he needed an option there and Tommy Welsh just came up and provided yeah, and it. And Tyrone had started pushing up, which yeah. is something we talked about on Friday was like, this is a big, 
bloody game for Shane Ryan and if, if Tyrone contested the kickouts which you'd argue they probably should have done for the whole game mm. that puts a lot of pressure on him but that's that is brilliant that Walsh did that and I thought you made a huge difference I just want to I just want to question whether I think Tommy Walsh was the winning of the game but I don't think he was I don't think he was the reason Kerry got back into it because Kerry were back in before Tommy Walsh came on and I think the reason for that is to go back to your kind of basketball analogy was that they like Sherwood coming on and obviously a change of impetus as well it made it from the basketball thing they made it from a half court offense to fast break offense right and I don't we've talked about this a good bit on on the show this year and we talked about it in terms of the the a few games in Ulster early on the year especially for Mana and the way they played but obviously we're talking at a different level now but like I just feel that those days of the kind of sideways going backwards Galway you know basically almost soloing backwards with the ball and just letting everything set up in front of you those days are gone we haven't seen it succeed really at all this year you know and if you look at Galway like they Kerry were just, I don't know what I'm talking about Galway for, but Kerry were just playing so much into Throne's hands in the first mm. half. And there was a moment where I'm just going like, how are they only three points behind? They're getting beaten in every aspect of the field. And we'll talk about their defence in a few minutes and we'll talk about Murphy and we'll talk all that. But in terms of even with the ball then, they were just playing into their hands. They were getting tighter and tighter all the time. And then the ball that they'd eventually look into to Ganey or Clifford or whoever was in there was just, he was triple marked instead of yeah. double when they got the ball because they just let them, they let them, soak it in tighter and tighter all the time and I just couldn't get over how naive and listless the whole thing was and then Sherwood comes on changed the game Gavin White made a bit of a difference as well and suddenly you just had direct runners that were taking men on in the tackle taking them out of it David Moran was doing that the whole game in fairness to him he was the only one that probably did it for 70 minutes he was brilliant they're taking lads out suddenly you've just got ahead of that first line of defence and then the options are open and then that brought Stephen O'Brien into the game um, because suddenly the wings were a little bit more open then and they started not just running directly up the middle but doing it on the loop as well which if you look at it even on a heat map it It'd be almost the same as the first half, but everything was done at double the pace. Yeah. And much, much quicker. And Tyrone didn't have the chance to just say, Oh, we're putting three men around every danger man. You've seen how many times Clifford was dispossessed in the first half or gave a, for a, a terrible pass, you know? It was where he got it in the second half, everything was done a hundred miles an hour. And the last two points he got was like pure just like footballing genius oh, class, of just yeah. it was all leg it was the only part of his body that moved <laughs> you know and it would just go shoot over the bar but that's because he just did everything quicker he had that inch of space and took a shot and for me that was the difference with Kerry and then obviously you play that way Walter's going to be the outlet that you're talking about then and, and that second focal point you know you mentioned Paul Murphy there we can talk about that for a second so um, Paul Murphy who inextricably has been described as a sweeper um, like Tyrone played five forwards. Paul Murphy was free. I don't, I don't know how that makes him a sweeper. Like, what is it? What? What is he supposed to do? Play as a like an extra forward for yeah. Kerry? Like, I don't. I don't. He's centre back. Isn't like, he? like, so. So, um, and like the the reason that this kind of frustrates me is that because as we have talked at length, and I actually, if people are interested in any of this, I've done articles for this up on site. But like Paul Murphy did this role. Uh, Jack Sherwood did it once in the Munster final but otherwise Paul Murphy did this role since the league final against Mayo and what he does is he holds he ne- like, and you can see this he literally does not cross the halfway line he's trying to hold the centre because he doesn't want them to overrun that area now the problem is that like there was a he had two options when that happens he can either engage the carrier 
and watch them kick the ball in over the top of him to an isolated man, to McShane versus Foley one-on-one. Or he can drop back in on top of McShane and watch Tyrone overrun that centre and come down that channel. So that that's his choice. Either have that channel open, clog that, and let the space in behind him. He elected to do the former, so he tried to hold on that space. I don't know if he's the best player to do that, but I understand the role. Like The role itself, I don't think is... I think it's understandable why he's doing that job, if not maybe not doing it as successfully as like mm. in an idea, I actually think in an ideal scenario he probably would have played literally as a sweeper mm. in terms of in front of Foley and Morley and drop back into that the the line back way but what he was doing made sense like he was trying to not be overrun in that center aspect because in that scenario make no doubt about it that's when McGeary Kennedy um either of the Donnellys Peter Hart come storming down that middle channel and nobody's there to meet them that's what he's trying to do Okay, so Kerry have been like worried about that problem for ages. I mean, like that. that it's been gap, it's, that, it's that an age old issue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like they're like they're like some like, like a ball patch, and he's like, "This is it." He's become obsessed with this. <laughs> like, he's, he's just like let the rest of his life go, but he's obsessed with like you know sorting this ball patch. <laughs> you, uh, there's a new spray for that, by the way, that Mark was shown recently. That uh, you know, ridiculous, but uh, um, this is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. He showed me a picture of it. It's just a spray, and it makes it look like new hair. Very, very peculiar. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, people should look into that. No, they don't sponsor us. I don't even know their name. <laughs> uh, you guys were at the match, so you weren't watching this. But Jerk Hanning, by the way, has always been obsessed with this. He brings the co-com along with him. But every Kerry match now, he talks as if Kerry are playing a sweeper, it's which a they're not playing, ball, yeah. for the first time ever. It's like as if, oh, he goes, and you see this sometimes, it's like, uh, Kerry, they don't seem to know what to do uh, with this role. And it's like, well, and, and their, their question basically then is like, and why are they playing it? But again, it's like the, the co-com's role is, it's not to question what you've just heard, it's just to agree with it and analyse that. It's like, but it wasn't happening. It's like Paul Murphy was doing exactly what you said he was doing there. But to people watching on TV who don't have the full picture of the field, what we're being told is that he's running around with no idea what to do, trying to cover everywhere and not playing a sweeper role correctly. You know, so it just, again, I think we just should expect more of um, the experts watching the game for us. Before we go, lads. Um, can we talk about Throne briefly? Yeah. yeah. Like, Throne will be sickened that they're not in an All-Ireland final this morning. Because if you look, at, I tweeted, I think, in the first half, Kerry were two points up, at the, or Tyrone were two points up at the time and ended up being four points up. And I'm like, Kerry are getting beaten on every uh, level of the field here. They're getting, their they're, they're defence, they're being, the Tyrone defence have them on toast and McShane can do whatever he wants in the forwards. And whatever it was, just not getting enough ball forward, not taking their chances when they were there. And they should have been out of sight at halftime. They were better than Kev- Kerry in every aspect of the game. And then I thought, when Kerry did get back into it, they just faltered. And maybe it's the same thing as we're talking about with Mayo. Maybe it's just that the legs run out after so many games in such a short period of time. But they haven't had a massive high-intensity game in a while now. They had that run through the qualifiers. But if you think about it, they were off last week. What? They, week they were off last week. They were off the week before. And then, fair enough, they came back against Cork. But I don't know if they were up for Cork the way they'd be up for an All-Ireland semi-final. But... I don't know what happened to them. It just was a, they, it was like after a really good year, they just kind of went out with limply in the end, didn't they? Yeah, I don't want to like, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much. But I like, we said this would happen. Like we, they haven't beaten Kerry Donegal. Sorry, a non Ulster Division One team since two thousand eight. This has been this has been their level. We said that 
they will overrun those weaker teams like flat track bullied them because they're way better conditioned it doesn't matter how they set up in that scenario they could have like Colin Machine could have played as a full back and they still would have overrun those teams because they're fitter and stronger and quicker like it's just I don't think that has much to do with their setup but when they get to this level I think this is where it becomes so clear that they like the talk what we'll move on to now as well has been about do they need a change of, of leadership is it time for McCart to go it was a discussion point in the Sunday game last night like my take on it would be whatever about if they need a change of leadership they definitely need a change of emphasis so even if it's if that is Mickey Hart who can bring that evolution out of them or if it's uh, Brian Duhar or if it's Peter Canavan whoever it is I don't really know if it matters but they de- that's what I would think they need Sean Cavanaugh's take on this Sean Cavanaugh was speaking on Sunday game last night and he said there does come a time when the baton does have to be passed on he's given his life to Toronto football but there are other guys there I know the likes of Fergal Logan Brian Duhar Peter Canavan are big names in Toronto football as well the core of that team won an under 21 title with those guys maybe it's time for someone like that he went on to he even threw Malik O'Rourke's name into it and said he saw him filling the CV um, Dez didn't like that no, Dez, no. Dez did not like that joke at all <laughs> Dez responded by saying he should be playing for, to be a Sunday game panelist which <laughs> I think shows a hierarchy in, in his mind um, <laughs> is it like well firstly I think it's interesting to hear Sean Kavanagh talk like that but secondly Mick, like, like, what, what do you think is it time for Mikhail to move on <laughs> I think that's a I feel a bit on the spot with that question like I don't know yeah you know I really don't know because we don't know like it's not as if Tyrone haven't made a few strides in the last few years you know like they've been to an All-Ireland final and an All-Ireland semi they looked like the team like again I think they could have lost yesterday and still felt like as if they had a good season but I think it's the way it happened I think given that Kerry didn't play for 35 minutes and given that Tyrone really didn't play at all in the second half I think they're just going to be a bad taste so I don't know if now is even the time to think about it I we had a high hopes for them. They obviously were well beaten to Donegal, but you know when we talked about that game at the time, we were like, you know, this is a sign that they're evolving. It'll take a while. Maybe they'll ship a few beatings on the way, but they understand that the game is changing and you can't play the way, the old way anymore. And that's a really good sign. It's a sign that Mickey Hart is still on top of things, and he's like the Greg Popovich of the GEA, and he's always going to be there with whatever the next evolution is. But they reverted to type after that defeat and I feel went back into themselves. And even though they went on this big run and had some really impressive performances, it was very much for now and not for the future. So my instinct would be that you can only be in this job, in these kind of jobs for so long anyway. And it might be, it might be good for everybody, including Mickey Hart to move away for a while. But look, I really don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know the, the credentials of the people behind him. I'm more interested in the idea of Kavanaugh being the one to call for his head because it's the only way that like you're, you're paid to be on television you're paid to give your opinion in theory that's exactly what Sean Kavanagh should be saying and I do agree with that but I also feel uncomfortable knowing that it's like this longtime soldier and I know they had millions of clashes over the years the two of them especially yeah but it just it, it just feels there's a there, it feels disloyal even if it's not to hear him be the one to say it. And then I just, in this horrible, conflicted way, where I know I'm right in saying that he should be saying it. Like, I know that. But it's just this feeling inside of me that can't help feeling like, oh, could you not have batted away that question, Sean? You know? And it's terrible. I'm in the media, and I want them to do that. I did, did feel like there was something new about Tyrone this year, but obviously in the end, it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. I mean, mainly that was, was that down to McShane? Like, Mainly, I mean, like moving McShane to full forward 
it it is like long term. It's a genius move for Tyrone. He he was like getting to watch him like yesterday, like right in front of you. Is was was really. It, uh, I feel like I learned a lot about how. Like I felt like real. You mentioned earlier. You feel like real sympathy for like Jason Foley or Tyg Morley in the end about how hard it is to mark him because you feel like you get up close with him. He's gonna he's gonna blow by you. He's gonna push you off. You stand off him. He can stick it over some some yeah. ridiculous <laughs> angle. There's, there's no there's there's no kind of it's hard to ha- to win there. But like, is that enough for Mickey Hart to stay on because he made this one genius move this year? I, I, Why did he take off Niall Sudden? I know that's a different. Was he booked? Uh, he was booked. Well, well, I, did I, that I, come down to it? I don't. I don't. I he was, was booked kind of for no reason as I well. Just, that I was thought, a really weird yeah, decision. I thought whatever. that was. I I thought. I don't understand the thing behind that. I, it's I not thought, Ireland semi-final. He was Peter, coming into it. He kicked a great score. Peter Hart was anonymous. Uh, Thomas Sullivan did an absolute number yeah. on him. Thomas Sullivan, who, like, it's worth bearing in mind, didn't play a single minute of championship football last year. Came in. The Monaghan game was his debut. The, that famous Monaghan game. Played against Galera as well. Went back and ended up being club player of the year in, in Kerry. And now looks like like he's he's probably an all-star now, really. He's but, on uh, our all-star uh, team, anyway. <laughs> and has been for a few weeks. Before we go, that's Peter Keane. Peter Keane, after the game... Um, Looking ahead to an Ireland final, claimed that he didn't even see Dublin. Uh, he said seemingly they put up a big score in the first, second half, did they? Uh, um, Jud- judging by the way they played in the first half against Tyrone, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he hasn't actually watched Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> he was asked about their chances and he said that um, Shane Ryan was on the phone to Jared Murphy uh, of Vincent Murphy Sports Shop in Castle Island. And his biggest problem was, would he get two pairs of boots or three pairs of boots? Because he'd have his boots worn out so much from kicking the ball out to Dublin. This is going to be the biggest problem. And he said they'll come back to it in three weeks. He started his interview with RTE by saying, Yara Luck. And he finished it by saying, um, Sound Man Marty Boy. <laughs> it's the mo- it's the- he, he actually finished uh, his interview on Sky Sports as well by telling Damien Lauder, well done, lad. <laughs> or, or that's, so, or, that's the Alec Ferguson trick th- th- something to that effect like yeah <laughs> like 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 treating Damien Lawler like he was some like intern with the GA or something is the GA media mad like it's <laughs> the final point before we go I know people, <laughs> people balk at this but like I remember I was watching the I watched the Dublin Tyrone game and after the game I'm sure everybody else saw this as well Bulger did his interview and like had an incredible game we were full of praise from last week but I was like why like why did he bother talking to him what were you hoping to get out of that and was he going to say Anton that much different and my girlfriend beside me was saying that well some of them do say something interesting and I was like I don't know if they do and she's like no I read an interview this morning with a player who said um, burnout is a load of nonsense and it's not true in a GA and players need to talk you about it and I was like what <laughs> it's like, this is, sounds like Stephen Hunt like who, who said this I switched upstairs and there was an interview with TJ Reid and he was actually brilliant like talking about um, fly fit James slagging off or Ben Dunn James slagging off fly fit and he talked about Captain in Kilkenny and his mam and uh, obviously this point about burnout as well but the interview was in RSVP magazine <laughs> when he was being interviewed about his wedding and it's, like, it's just so weird the landscape for media like I'm not giving I think it's a shame that we can't get similar stuff out of post-match interviews or round or whatever but it's just so Somebody who's like still finding his his feet in his injury, just find it daft the the media landscape that we that we have right now. It is changing though. PJ, you're out and about talking to people yeah. a lot. I my impression, and I think a lot of, you'll see a lot of journalists on Twitter talking about this, and you know the the access they might get before a game and stuff like that. I think it reached peak nonsense about five years ago, where nobody was allowed to say anything. They weren't allowed to talk to anyone within six months of a match, and so on and so forth. And I think people have just grown up a little bit about the whole thing recently and kind of, I think, understand that, 
you know, giving an honest interview isn't going to set you cost you in all Ireland, you know. And I don't know if you found that, but I definitely feel like the wheel is turning slightly on it. A little bit. You feel like you, you are getting a little bit more, but recently I, I feel like it's down to just the character of the players. And like, the, we, when, when players are out of the championship, they just, they relax more. They, they are willing to give you more. But like, when it is going on, they really give you nothing, and Dublin players in particular. Like I, I, I do feel like, you, I, I, I do feel like some of them are thinking about their media training in every moment of every interview. Like as if, what was I told to say in this situation? I don't. I mean, like revert back to type. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's true as well. Like, look, there, uh, there are definitely some who are who are different. Um, and I, uh, I, I wanted to agree to it. It depends on the player. Um, like if we look ahead to next week, um, like Kilkenny have not only a goalkeeper but a a poet in goals. I yeah. don't know if you know about this, Mick. I do know about it. I've got it here in front of me actually because you know all Ireland final week. There's always kind of like people are always looking for that angle, and you just get that you know that little bit of something different. So it's time to talk about an actual all Ireland final that's happening this bloody week, guys. Kilkenny and Tip might be a familiar lineup, much like Dublin and Kerry, but uh, one that's never really let us down either. You know so. Um, it should be a fun one. And in our research, well, actually, somebody sent this in to us, I think, did they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> we have found a, po- a poem by Owen Murphy, the Kilkenny goalkeeper, um, from when he was age 10, but yet somehow sums up, absolutely sums up uh, the essence of the All-Ireland Final this week. I'll take it away. This is by Owen Murphy, age 10, from Ballyfacey National School, Glenmore. Potholes I don't like. <laughs> They ruin my really cool bike. So now, I must hike. <laughs> and that's Owen Murphy, lads, who's going to probably win an all-star. Best goalkeeper in the country. Mm-hmm. And that's why. We, <laughs> we preview that game on Friday. So come back to us for what will be a bumper podcast. And I'll find a podcast. But in the meantime, take it easy.